My name is Jimin, and we will now be reading today's passage from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, for he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an, ins an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting, my name is Jam, the lead pastor here, and today I'll be uh, concluding our sermon series through our vision and core values. And just as a reminder, uh, we're going to kind of go over all the other core values that we talked about the last four weeks. Uh, first, we talked about love through obedience, um, that we love God through obedience to his calling in each of our lives here in the Bay Area. Then we talked about what it means to embrace others, uh, that we embrace one another as we actively seek transformation through the Holy Spirit. Then we talked about um, empowering all to serve, that we encourage people to use their God-given gifts and creativity to further our vision and purpose. And lastly, we talked about what it meant to build community, that we believe true community is built, not found, and that we each play an important part in this so that we can be witnesses to those around us. And today, we're going to be talking about the core value of our church of seeking truth with grace, that we seek God's truth with grace rather than simply revert to tradition or dogma for topics that extend outside of our core tr uh, truths or our statements of faith. And our prayer really in going over our vision and our core values is that together as a church that we'll be united in our mission uh, to really take every opportunity presented to us in our lives uh, to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, in just here in the Bay Area. And the gospel is not just a message for non-believers, uh, but that it's also for, for believers, that it is the gospel that we must uh, re remind ourselves to, uh, to, to preach to ourselves uh, so that we can understand that the, the grace of God was really bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ and that it is only through the gospel that we can really seek out uh, to follow and be disciples of Jesus. And so um, there's kind of this foundational truth that we, we hold to at all costs, and those are foundational truths and beliefs that we must, you know, those are hills to die on, but for many of us, or for the majority of, you know, our lives, there's a lot of things that are non, you know, that are negotiable, things that are not hills to die on, 
And, and those are the things that we need to kind of be more gracious towards and, and understand that uh, we do not need to be dogmatic about certain matters that are not foundational to the very core value of our faith. So today we're going to look at what it means to seek truth with grace. Uh, we're going to look at the danger of truth without grace. Then we're going to look at the danger of grace without truth. And then lastly, we're going to look at the picture of how we want our church to operate as uh, we become people who seek truth with grace. So first of all, the danger of truth without grace. Um, the first thing that we have to recognize is how tradition has deeply impacted our beliefs and especially how some traditions have erroneously become canonized as foundational truths to our faith. Uh, I saw this on the internet, uh, some meme somewhere, and it says this, that tradition is just peer pressure from dead people, right? And, uh, and not to say that all tradition is bad. Uh, there are some traditions that are good and that have stood this test of time. Uh, but oftentimes, when we think about our religion or maybe even just kind of growing up in church, we often forget or we fail to recognize that a lot of the things that we do are, are traditions that are either cultural or, or things that are just, you know, that have been taught to us and we believe are actually true, right? Uh, and unfortunately, there are many examples of this, and I'll, I'll use a non-church example of this, but uh, there are some traditions or a lie that is so ridiculous, and yet it has fooled an entire nation of people for the past three, four generations. Um, now, growing up in Korea, I was told my, uh, by my mom and my most trusted adults uh, that if I slept uh, with a fan on, that I would die. Um, and I believed it. And, and, and then, you know, as I got older, I was kind of, and, and you know, in Korea in the summer, like super hot, humid in the 80s, like, you know, we didn't have AC and like you couldn't open the windows because mosquitoes would get in. Um, and, and, but we, weren't allowed, we were not allowed to turn on the fan, even though we would burn these mosquito coils that were probably toxic and we're just like breathing in those fumes, but you cannot turn on the fan or you'll die. And as I got older, I started asking questions. I was like, hey, like, like how am I going to die if I leave the fan on? And they'd be like, well, obviously, circulation, you're going to suffocate. And I was like, oh, that's so true. And, and, but then I was like, wait a second, but during the day, how come I don't suffocate, you know? And I'll start asking these questions. Like, they, they, they stop asking questions. You're, you're, it's too cold and you will die, right? And I, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And so in junior high, you know, in, in America now, uh, it was a summer. I, I turned the fan on and I fell asleep. And then I kind of woke up in the middle of the night and the fan was still on. I was like, I was like oh my gosh, did I die? And then I, I didn't die, right? And then as I got older, you know, we uh, you know, did some research and you can find us all online. But basically, the reason why uh, Koreans, and it's just it's regulated only to South Koreans, why Koreans believe that you'll die if you sleep with a fan on is because the government during like the 60s, uh, they told their citizens that you can't sleep with a fan on or you'll die because they were trying to conserve energy. You know, during that time, they didn't have that much electricity. They didn't want people to just waste all the electricity at night, you know, using the fan. So they told this to people, and they actually believed it. And so throughout the generations, that was the tradition or the news that, you know, the, the truth that was told. And so when I go home, my parents are old. Even in the summer, my dad has the heater on. And, you know, when I sleep there, I try to sleep with the fan on. And then he'd be like, you can't turn the fan on, you'll die. You know, and I told him everything. And yet he still believes that if you keep the fan on at night, you will die. Right? And there are a lot of these type of traditions that we hold within the church or within our religion or within our faith, um, and we don't question it, and we just believe it to be true. Um, if you grew up in the Baptist denomination, <clears throat> not too long ago, it was a sin to dance. It was considered sinful. If you go to old Baptist retreat sites in, in some of their places, it will say, no dancing allowed. 
The seminary that I went to, though it's not Baptist, it has Baptist origins. So before I got accepted into that seminary, I had to sign a, uh, a contract, no dancing in public, you know? Good thing I didn't break that, you know, I, I never broke that, okay? Still don't dance. Not because of, I believe it's sinful, just because you don't want to see me dance, you know? Last thing you want to see is your pastor dance in public, okay? Just make that. So next time I'm at a wedding and you're trying to get me to dance and my wife is trying to get me to dance, remember, you don't want to see your pastor dance in public. Um, I mean, there's plenty of these type of religious traditions that we, we see and we've been taught and we, we, we've grown up believing to be actually true. But when we actually think about the origins of these traditions, we realize that many, not all, that many outside of the foundational truths of Jesus being the Son of God, uh, you know, that the only way to salvation is through Him, that many of it is based not on actual truth taught in Scripture, but on cultural traditions, or even just evangelical or religious traditions. Uh, I'll give you another example. And if you grew up in the Korean church, there's this thing called morning prayer, that every Korean church would wake up very early in the morning to go and pray. And they believe that the earlier you pray, the holier your prayers are. There was actually a dispute between two missionaries that I, I worked with. And, and one of them woke up at uh, 5.30 in the morning to pray. And the other one woke up at 4.30 in the morning to pray. And the one that woke up at 4.30 in the morning to pray totally judged the one that woke up at 5.30 in the morning to pray. Because 5.30, that's, that's not morning prayer. That's like breakfast prayer. You know, that's loosely translated to English. That, but that's basically what he told me. Right? And we have these traditions that we realize that oftentimes the things that bother us about what other people are doing or not doing is not actually foundational, essential truths to the gospel, but are actually tied to some of the traditions that we've been taught. Some of the things that perhaps uh, have been ingrained in us so deeply that we assume automatically that this is absolute truth and essential to our Christian faith, when in reality, it is not. It's tradition. It are things that are negotiable. It are, thi it are things that perhaps we do not need to hold onto so tightly. Now, there was a famous quote from a German theologian in the 17th century named Robertus Meldinius, and he says this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And, and, and the danger of truth without grace is that when we believe that we are, hold, we are key holders to absolute truth, then every hill becomes a hill to die on. And thus, the only people that you will be able to be united with are the people that share your exact same beliefs. And those that divert from the beliefs that you hold, you will judge and criticize them. This is what we are seeing here in this very passage as the people see Jesus hanging upon the cross. And you have to ask yourselves this. The very people who are in the crowd and who are following Jesus, very people who might have even considered themselves to be disciples of Jesus, in a blink of an eye, the moment that they see that Jesus is arrested and placed upon the cross, they turn from singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, to crucify him, crucify him. And the words that come out of these people and the soldiers are words of mockery and, and, and just hate and maliciousness. The reason why is because their truth no longer matched with the reality of what Jesus was going through. Because in their tradition, in their Jewish belief, 
They believed that the Messiah would not be arrested, but that the Messiah would be a conqueror. They believed that the Messiah would be the one to lead their people uh, politically and in, in a military way to freedom from the Roman Empire. To see a man now hanging naked upon the cross who had once claimed to be the Son of God was absolutely outlandish to them. So what is their response? They criticize, they mock, they make fun, right? And, and, and you know, like to us, like when we see some of the words that they are saying, right? Like if you are the son of God, why don't you get yourself down from that cross? You can save others, but you can't save yourself. Like these are pointed, very intentional, mocking and malicious words that were used to really kind of hurt this man, right? It wasn't just playful banter. They were, they were going after the thing that they felt would hurt Jesus the most. And oftentimes, whether we realize it or not, when we hold an attitude of, of being very dogmatic in what we believe in, outside of the essential truths of the gospel, when we feel that our denomination or our beliefs or, or, or our, our personal piety is, is absolutely true and the only way to do things, what ends up happening is that we, be, we start developing an attitude of, of hate and mockery and criticism to the people that do not agree with us. Now, unfortunately, um, this happens to the best of us. Right? And, and practically speaking, when we think about a truth without grace, it really turns us into hypocritical, judgmental people who lack love. Therefore, it minimizes our ability to witness the people around us. It makes us cruel and judgmental. And it makes us people who uphold our personal standard of piety or holiness uh, out of jealousy to the people around us. So now, truth without grace breeds, breeds cruelty and judgment. Uh, and judgment. Uh, so when we are fixated on truths while we ignore grace, it turns us into people um, that no longer recognize the humanity of those around us. And instead, uh, we only see an argument that needs to be won. Or, or we see uh, just, you know, just a, 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 you know, a person who is not behaving the way that we want them to. Now, in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Apostle Paul, he, he writes this. Uh, and, and think about Apostle Paul. He is the most dogmatic Pharisee, so much so that he was killing people who were following Jesus. And, and now after his conversion, he writes this. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. He's talking about grace here. But not to, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of, of, of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord. He is able to make him stand. Now, here Apostle Paul is talking about a truth that is a non-essential Within, within the church at that time, there were some people who believed that it was only right to eat vegetables. There were people who said, no, you're, you're not going to turn me into a vegan. I'm going to eat some meat too. And today he says, he's like, hey, don't quarrel over opinions. Don't think that you're better than someone just because you think your truth is better than their truth. 
The reality is, is outside of the, the core truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things that are disputable. There are a lot of things that are opinions. There are a lot of things that in the end, we don't really know what is true and not because it's not plainly stated in scripture. And even within our faith and our denomination, there are many different, uh, uh, different denominations. There are many different things that churches believe in. There's some that believe that you cannot be baptized as an infant, that you have to be baptized once you are of certain age. There are other churches that believe, no, baptism as, as an infant is fine. There are others, churches that believe that when you take communion, that it becomes actually the blood of Jesus in the cup, and it becomes the actual body of Jesus from the bread. And others believe, no, it's just a kind of a spiritual figurative sense. Right? And, and these are all things that we disagree upon. And yet, when it comes to the core doctrine of how we attain salvation and the core doctrine of who is Jesus Christ, there is agreement there. If we want everyone to act and believe exactly what we believe, you know what that is? It's a cult, right? That's, that's the reality of it. Lacking grace and only upholding what we think is truth will create, cause us to be people who are judgmental and cruel. And not only that, oftentimes what ends up happening is that we end up becoming people who will uphold people to a certain standard of piety and holiness out of kind of jealousy. What ends up happening a lot is that when we think that, someone sh that Christians should act one certain way and one specific way, and we see other Christians not acting in that way, we become jealous thinking, how come they get to do that and not me? Here I am upholding everything that I believe is, is holiness and, and, and good for, for my discipleship in Jesus, and yet I see people not acting in that certain way, and I don't like that. I get jealous of that. Or I, I'm going to judge them for that. And this is the exact attitude that we see in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, just to you know, highlight the parable of the prodigal son, there's a younger son who is basically... He's, you know, whoring around and drinking and having fun. The older brother, he's kept the rules of his father for his entire life. And this is the complaint of the older brother. He says, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your, uh, your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat, and I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a, cat and ca a fattened calf for him. His main complaint was not that the younger son was disrespecting the father. His main complaint was not that, hey, like his main goal wasn't, hey, I really want the younger, my younger brother to behave in a respectful way and I want him to come back into the family. His main complaint was, how come he gets grace? How come you're being nice to him when he has not been living the type of life that I have been living? And that's oftentimes the judgmental criticism that we have when we lack grace. We look at the people around us. We look at certain church members and we say, hey, here I am doing everything I can to, to follow God and what I think is, is good commands. And yet here's other people around me. They're not living the same way I am. And yet they receive the same amount of grace as me. That's not fair. And we start judging people. And that's really the danger of truth without grace. We become cruel, heartless. We dehumanize the people around us and we no longer see the people around us in the same way that God sees his children. We only see people that we wanna compare ourselves to. 
people that don't match up to our standards. Next, the danger of grace without truth. When we ignore truth for the sake of being gracious, ironically, it becomes the least gracious thing we can do. Grace without truth creates in us a justification for sinful living and compromise. And, you know, we're living in a time when uh, truth is being bent and challenged in every single way, right? Uh, living in a world where truth is, is difficult to decipher can be a very dangerous world. Uh, if, you know, like, now when I see videos, I don't know if it's artificial intelligence or not. Like, I get tricked all the time. I used to always get tricked. So I would send clips to Pastor Eugene because he's younger than me, and, and, and he would tell me, like, no, that's fake. I'd be like, okay, okay. And he's like, oh, no, that's real. I'm like, oh, crazy. And then, but now he's been sending me fake stuff, and he's like, oh, AI is too crazy. Like, we don't, we, I don't know what's true anymore, right? So all these videos I'm seeing about what's happening in Israel, like, sometimes I'm seeing crazy stuff, and I send to my friends, like, hey, like, hey that's from, like, 2015. That's not real. Like, I, I'm getting tricked, and we can't, it's very difficult for us when truth is, is not absolute, right? It's, it's very difficult when we don't know what is actually true or not. So when we think about how important truth is, it, it's, without truth, we can, it's difficult to love the people around us. If we are unable to point people to the absolute truth of their need for Jesus Christ, then that is not grace. Now, when we study the ministry of Jesus, we witness this like his manifestation of grace with truth. The fact that he is able to speak truth while being fully full of grace. Uh, he, he never compromises one for the other. It's 100% truth and 100% grace. And the example that we see is in the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, I'll read for us this passage real quick. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says this. And he was sitting, and, and he was setting out on his journey, uh, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Do not murder, uh, you, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all that I have kept from my youth, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I think about this situation, and I think about what would I do if I was in Jesus' position, Right? First of all, here's a guy who comes up to, he goes on his knees, and he's like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Right then, I would have been like, oh, man, this guy's going to get all my grace. Number one, he's like calling me good teacher. You know, he seems genuine. You know, like, he seems very, like, you know, very repentant. And, and, and Jesus, he, he looks at this, this man, and he tells him, hey, here's the commandments, Right? Some commentators and, and scholars believe that he adds do not defraud because that's not part of the Ten Commandments. He adds do not defraud because he is calling out this rich young ruler's sin. He knows that this man has become rich by defrauding the people around him. And that's why the, the command to go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, I mean, that's not how you gain salvation. Right? You don't gain salvation by selling everything and giving to the poor. He's calling this man out. Even though he is filled with grace for him, it says so. He said Jesus, looking at him, loved him. How did he love him? By calling him out with truth. 
hey, you are a man who has defrauded the people around you. You must make that right. You must repent of that sin. Go sell everything that you have and give it back to the poor. He doesn't look at this man and just think, you know what, I'm going to nurture him and just, you know, I'm going to find the right time to kind of, you know, point out his sin. No, he goes directly into this idea of loving him and while calling him out for his sin. If he did not call him out about his sin, that is not loving at all. Grace without truth is the least gracious thing that we can do. Jesus was truth made in flesh, and seeking truth is the goal of every disciple of Jesus. Right? It's not just about being kind to the people around us. It's not just about loving the people around us. It's not just about having a good time and, and making people feel welcomed. It's also about can we be people who are seeking Jesus? Because by seeking Jesus, we are seeking truth. He himself says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what has happened in the church is not so much that we deny truth. I, I think, you know, oftentimes there are some things that are debatable. There are some things that we might disagree upon. Uh, but if you're sitting here today, the majority of you that are sitting here today, you are here because you believe that Jesus is, is the Son of God, right? Others, you guys are st maybe still thinking through that. Right? But it's not so much that the majority of us deny truth. The reality is, is that the majority of us, if we took a quiz on, on what our Orthodox Christian beliefs, as long as it's multiple choice, you guys will probably get passing grades. Right? Not 100%, but you guys will probably pass. Uh, but the difficult thing about, about this topic is that we are unwilling or we are maybe unable to actually speak truth to the people around us. Number one, because we may not fully be confident in knowing this. And number two, because we feel uncomfortable. And number three, maybe because we really don't love people around us. The reason why I bring this up is because oftentimes what ends up happening is that when we encounter people that may be living in sin, or when we encounter people that might be doing things or saying things or living in a way that might be questionable, um, not many of us are willing to confront them. Not many of us are willing to speak truth into their lives. Instead, we have become a, 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 you know, a people who, who just kind of like hope that someone else will take care of it. Right? We hope that someone else will speak truth into their lives. And when that doesn't happen, when it's usually they'll come to the pastor or the leader and be like, hey, um, why aren't you doing something about this? Right? Uh, we, we don't want to speak truth into people's lives because we think that that's going to offend them. But the most gracious thing we can do is that we can speak the truth of what God has commanded us into the lives of the people so that they will be able to repent and turn back to Jesus. The call for every Christian is that when you see someone in sin, that we will confront them and that if they repent, that you have won your brother. What ends up happening, and, and, and the formula in Matthew when it comes to confronting people for their sin is very clear. You see someone in sin, you confront them. If they repent, good job. If they don't, bring another witness. If they still do not repent, then go to the church. We've turned it backwards. When we see someone in sin, the first thing we do is we go to the leaders or the pastor. Hey, you guys need to do something about this. That's backwards. 
If you are a follower of Jesus and you are unable or unwilling to speak truth in the lives of your fellow brothers and sisters, then you lack grace and truth because you're unwilling to love them with truth and you're unwilling to speak truth into their lives. If you think that is a duty of just the people around you and not you, then we've missed the entire point of what it means for people to be followers of Jesus who seek truth with grace, who desire the people around them to seek truth with grace. So lastly, what does it mean for us to seek truth with grace? What are the practical applications that we can take from this core value? And what is it that we want to produce in our church? Well, we believe in the truth of God's word. Uh, it is made known to us through Jesus Christ and it communicated, communicated to us through the spirit and the word. So we are, must be people who are actively seeking this truth in our lives. That we must be people who are actively, actively in the word of God, seeking what is true and what is not. That it can't just, I mean, let's be real, guys. Like, you listen to me for like, 30, hopefully 30 minutes, maybe not 40, you know, and you know, you're listening to maybe about 25% of it. You'll, 15 minutes after this, you'll probably forget what I talked about. Maybe you'll talk about fan death. You know, that's, maybe that's about it. Um, it. And you think, I mean, and, and think about the amount of content, amount of things that we take in in a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, the moment that we are having any free time, we're just filling ourselves with content from our phones, from, from streaming, whatever the case is. And yet, we, if we believe that seeking God by just listening to me talk for 30 minutes is good enough for you, it isn't. It isn't. We must be you know, spending some quality time during the week, set aside some time to actually think about what is God trying to teach us? What are the words? What are the things that he wants to command us? What are the things that he wants to teach us? We must actively seek that truth. Because in order for us to speak truth, we have to know truth. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. If we are a community that seeks truth, we must also be a community that speaks truth to one another. The command that is given to us is that we must allow the word of Christ to dwell in us so that we can teach and admonish the people around us. We have not done that to the best of our ability. Um, we have not done that in the way that God has commanded us. Many of our conversations, many of the things that we talk about, many of the things that we discuss is not centered around the things that God wants us to talk and speak about. Our inability to be witnesses is because we have very little muscles and speaking truth to the lives of the people around us. Oftentimes there are, and, and here's the thing, the many things that, many topics and the things that people want to talk about and discuss, um, we don't know how to process and, and speak the gospel into it because we ourselves are not experts in knowing what the gospel says. We must use that energy and time to speak, to, to seek truth so that we may speak truth. The important thing about all this is that the balance between truth and grace, uh, it's not a 50% truth and 50% grace. It's 100% both. And we see this in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is a man 
who was filled with grace and truth. Right? Here he is hanging upon the cross. People are mocking him, ridiculing him. And what is his response? To pray for them. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Right? And yet he is filled with truth because he, as he hangs upon that cross, he does not refute or he does not deny the fact that he is called by God for this very purpose to die upon the cross and resurrect for our salvation. And yet here we are, um, oftentimes judging people for their lifestyle or things that might be a little bit disagreeable to us. If, if that were the case, think about the thief on the cross who Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. This guy, he has nothing to show for his, his faith. I mean, he did one good thing. He rebukes the other thief, right? But besides that, he never went to church, right? He never did quiet time. He never went to a community group. You know, he's not someone who ever knew what it means to sing pray. He, he never pray, prayed publicly outside, you know, out after he got saved. No, we would look at this man, and if we were to judge based on our Christian eyes and, and how the church views people, we would say, this guy is a criminal, and I don't know if I would feel comfortable if he was around me and my children. We would totally judge him. And yet, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, here is a man who is completely saved. We want to produce at our church a community where truth, the core, value, the core truth of our faith is never compromised, and yet we are able to display that fully with grace to the people around us, to point them to who Jesus is, that even at the very end of his life, a known fugitive and criminal could gain salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.